Welcome to The Art of Growth. This is Jim Zartman, and this is our new series on patterns. We wanted to take the Enneagram back to basics with this season of panels, but at a much deeper level than we've done before. So we're returning to the core of the Enneagram, where we are discussing the core motivation of each type and the strategies or patterns to get those core needs met, but we're doing it in a panel setting. And this week is the Type 8s. So before we get started, the hub of all of our work is theartofgrowth.org. This is where you get in contact with us if you'd like us to work with your organization or even you as an individual. You can reach out to us there. And there's also free resources there as well, like Enneagram Test or an Instinct Variant Test. But for right now, let's go ahead and jump in with our Type 8s on this Patterns season. All right, well, welcome to the Type 8 Patterns Podcast. I am uh, so excited to have each of you on with us. And uh, let's begin by just having you introduce yourself. Tell us your name and where you're from. My name is Julie. I'm from North Georgia. And I'm Susan, and I'm in Calgary, Alberta. My name is Daniel, and I am from Phoenix, Arizona, heading to uh, Calgary, Alberta tomorrow morning. Nice. Yeah. My name is Matt, and I am from Lethbridge, Alberta, which is two hours south of Calgary. Wow. All right. (laughs) This has been an interesting podcast series. We've just started it, but so far uh, it has gone super well. We're looking at this big question that came from one of our, our, our followers that just reached out and said, hey, you're always talking about this thing of the core motivation of the type, then the pattern, and... I don't know exactly what you're talking about when you say that. Could you say more? And could we maybe do a podcast on this? So we thought, absolutely. Let's get the types talking about that. And so while the core motivation for a lot of people who are into the Enneagram, they're somewhat familiar with the core motivation of each type. uh, Rather than having me share what that is, I'd love to hear it from you in your words. So again, the core motivation, and then we'll talk about the pattern and how that shows up. I was looking at the core motivation today. So what does it mean for me to be a strong person, to be an eight? And then I actually Googled characteristics of a strong person. And it was interesting because I am some, but not others. So I know I have a lot of growing to do. But if I were to look at what I what I would have perceived a strong person was when I was, let's say, 20, Um, It was responsible, reliable, able to speak my mind, not going to take any crap from anyone, independent. So I think that that was my core motivation growing up. I had to be strong based on, you know, dysfunctional family stuff. But core motivation generally for a lot of eights is that it's like I need to be strong right in the face of threats in the face of challenges that um, life throws at you. And so you got to be prepared, you know, and part of the way to do that is you have to sort of deny some of the weakness that you find in yourself, you know, and kind of man up and face the world. So a lot of eights would describe it as, as having to do that at, from an early age. Well, and everything was a challenge. Everything was viewed as a threat. It didn't matter if it wasn't a threat. Everything was a threat. Mm whether it was intimacy or relate love yeah. relationship or going to school, going to work. It was all a threat, at least for me. Yeah. Thank you. 
Independence is definitely one of my core motivations as well. Uh, I have very much an I can do it myself attitude. You know, I don't need help from anybody. I can meet whatever need I might have. And again, from same as you, dysfunctional, I had to meet my own needs as a kid. And just, you know, I'm strong. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. I don't know if it's a learned thing or part of me to just not need anybody. Just that independence. Yeah. One of the things that my wife jokes around, and I didn't even realize what the word was, but there were times where I just, I just had that innate sense that I knew what to do next. I followed my gut a lot. And even things that I really had no education on of understanding, I just knew. Things just made sense to me, um, whether we be directionally or what direction to go with something. Or, um, and so she called me an ultra-crepidarian just basically, she would joke about that. And prior to the Enneagram, being able to kind of almost put her her criticism, which, and it was a joking thing that we we had between us, but because things just made sense. And she's like, how do you know that? Are you just making that up? And I'm like, I just know that. Like I, there, there, was a, there was something that I've always had to be able to do that. And I'd never really almost had permission to be able to do it. And I think even since I've met you, Joel, I'll be just a hundred percent honest. It's I feel like I've thrived in kind of understanding what my core motivation, like who I am. And that it's almost like it's mm. it's okay for me to be me. And, you know, obviously there's there's the side of, of not trying to push through too much and knowing when to push and when to restrain and knowing um, kind of the healthy balance of what that looks like. But uh, whether directionally where, you know, I, I happen to be in a in, in a church where we do have some of our older congregation as well that will try to push agendas on us to do certain things. And I've just really had a peace to know that until I feel my God-given core to move, like I'm not going to move. And when I feel we need to move, whether you believe it or not, let's move. And so just seeing the pattern of, of, of success and the fruit of that has been uh, not just liberating for me, but like I said, it's giving me permission to, Love it. to just be me. Love it. So, so good. Yeah, I'll say like, just like looking at the core motivation of the aid, I see the word and I've always seen the word when you talk about the Enneagram, like strength, like strength is always coming through with the aid. It's always, it's everywhere. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not shy of that word. It doesn't scare me or anything, but like, I think a better word for me, I can only speak for me here is confidence. And if I feel like I'm operating out of confidence, I feel like I'm myself. And I think anyone would probably say that as well. You could talk to a three, a six, a seven, and they might all say the same thing, which is fair, but I almost like need it. And if I don't feel confident, I really don't feel like myself. Again, speaking for just myself, I feel a lot more quiet, a lot more reserved, a lot more observing instead of contributing, which is not like mm -hmm. me, I would say. So that's kind of how it plays out most with me. And I, I guess you could call confidence strength for sure. But I just, the word confidence comes to mind. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that's, I, I love that there are different ways to express that, you know, that sort of core essence, right? So when we're talking about eights, we're in, in any type, it, when we're trying to put words to something that is experiential, that's underneath, right? So and we're doing our best. Right. So we might say strength, confidence, you know, all of these things. And so, it's best for the types to actually describe what that's like for them in their own words. So I appreciate your, uh, your feedback on that. And some of you have already started talking about the pattern. So there's like the core motivation is like, I 
can't be caught off guard or I don't like this feeling of like passivity or not feeling alive in my body. There's these sort of almost existential feelings deep down inside, you know, maybe feeling weak and trying to make up for that by being stronger. So these are the core energies underneath. And then they manifest themselves out into a pattern or a behavior or a strategy. How do I not feel that feeling of weakness? How do I not get taken advantage of again? How do I not get duped again by somebody that I thought I could trust? And wow, did that really hurt when that person didn't, you know, come through or showed a side to them that wasn't the side that they showed to me the first time, you know? So there's a lot of things like that, that then the, then the type starts creating this pattern. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, how would you describe your pattern of getting that core need met? What does that look like? I would say just when I'm empowered to do something, it's almost knowing that the ball is in my court. Like I said, I go back to permission and, and I, I completely agree with what you say, uh, Matt, about confidence. It's, it's um, just to find, that, to find that place of confidence. But I, I feel like when I'm empowered with the task or I'm empowered to say, okay, here's the ball make it happen. I, I kind of have to go through this inner dialogue of trying to find my place of confidence. And sometimes it comes, like you were saying, Matt, through listening to other people. Sometimes it comes to like, I feel like I can find the different pieces that I need to connect to be able to say, okay. And when I see it, I see it. And I have the confidence to move. And I'll always say, if I can see it, I can sell it. So if I can see it, then I, I know confidently that I can move in it. And it doesn't really matter at that point what peop- other people think. And because sometimes I can be hesitant if it's really not my call to make or if I'm not the one leading it or I'm not the one who's been given the ball, um, I kind of like just stay a little bit more reserved because I don't feel like I have the right to overpower somebody else or, hey, say this is what you should do. But um, so I think empowering me and saying this is yours, that gives me and it's the good and the bad of it. It's it's like, OK, well, I don't want to let anybody down, but I want to make the right decision. So what do I do? And and uh, so that inner dialogue that takes place and pulling information from other people in order to make the decision. But one, it's like once it clicks and you know it, like you're like, OK, I don't care. You get tunnel vision is what I kind of feel like. So that's what I would say. I think for me, it's more along the lines of I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to kind of take the reins and I don't need anybody's help to do it. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, carrying in 16 bags of groceries in the car. I can do it myself. I don't need help. Yeah. Um, because there, there's going to be that one time that, you know, you, you're going to need somebody and there's going to be nobody there. So it's better just for me, my pattern to learn to do it myself, which sometimes, you know, at work, I've been accused of being very controlling. But it's not that I'm trying to control it. It's just that <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that it gets done and that I can do it, you know. I always say use your assets as like a superhero for good or evil. When I was using my eights for evil, I would thrive as long as I was in charge. So whether it be running an event or being a room mom or leading a prayer group or whatever, I always did great as long as I was the one facilitating it. Um, mostly to keep one, keep myself accountable because I, I don't typically show up for other people's things consistently. And two, because I... It kept me safe. I knew exactly what was going to happen in what order. We were going to start on time. We were going to end on time. I was, wasn't going to have any frustration with that. It was going to be organized. Everything was going to meet the deadlines. I think the pattern that got me into was feeling unappreciated, feeling overworked, feeling disconnected because 
uh, when you're leading the group, you're not necessarily part of it. At least that's how I felt. So I had the season where I, I always say God does for me what I can't do for myself, where he took away almost everything that I was leading within a matter of two months. And it was devastating. And it, it wasn't like he took them away like I messed up or anything. It was just like like five different things ended all in a row. And then I felt purposeless. And I didn't really know what to do with that after. Because by then I was completely burned out and completely overwhelmed and had ended up off this cliff. So that was kind of like my before. And so then my after I had to really try and change that pattern of always having to be in charge just so I felt safe or or just so I felt I look stronger. Yeah, that makes sense. I think too, being showing strength and appearing that you're strong is also a pattern for me as well. You know, I grew up with uh, boys. There was I grew up in rural Alberta. There was no other girls around. And so, you know, I, to keep up to them, you fall down, you get hurt. You can't know you're strong, you're tough. You can't, you know, you can't say I'm weak about it, right? So otherwise you don't get to play. You, have, you know, just that definitely need to be strong. Yeah. Yeah, I think too, just adding to that, like what, what Daniel was saying about like, if the ball's in my court, I definitely feel that same kind of, I can, I can relate with that where like, if, I'm the one where the ball stops, like, that's okay, here it is, like, I'm going to lead. And if I'm going to make a mistake, that's fine, because you told me I'm in charge. So that's, I'm a human. So I'm okay with that then. But if I'm not the one in charge, I sometimes feel like, well, should I step in? I feel like maybe I could, because things aren't going so hot right now. But if I do, like, I'm going to get my neck chopped off of this because, you know, like it's not my place and I know that, but I also feel like maybe I could add something here. So it's just that like, yeah, the battle there is, is real. And then like, I think when I'm not in charge and I know I'm not in charge and someone else is, and they're doing a great job, I definitely step back and I'm like, cool, you do your thing. You're doing great. It's awesome. And yeah, as it pertains to the confidence and the strength part, I would definitely say like, I come out loud and big up front and I heard it. I don't know if it was even with the art of growth or if it was some other thing or whatnot, but it was something about like how eights have a strong propensity to lo- to use like foul language and like pretty intense humor and to cuss a lot. And I was like, Oh yeah, that fits the bill. That's exactly me to a T. And you can ask any of my friends and they're like, yeah, like definitely. And it's just like, I just come out swinging right up front. And I think the strategy that, I mean, it was described in this, whatever it was, podcast or whatnot, it was very much like, if you can't handle me at this, you can't get the vulnerable part of me. That's not, you don't, this is the deal. If you don't like this right here, the loud, the crazy, dropping F-bombs, whatever, then you have no right to get to know me in terms of the soft, gushy, you know, heart on the inside, because it's not yours to know about them. Okay. Wow. I love that. Um, if you can't respect me and appreciate all the good that I can bring as an eight, then yeah, definitely there, there's very few that come behind that and get to see their, not, I, I don't want to say the real me, but the softer side of me for sure. The one that mm. cares so passionately mm. about other people that can go to fight for them that will go and fight for your kids or fight for injustice. You know, it's not for attention and it's not for approval. I think doing it from our gut 
means we're doing it because we think it's right, or I'm doing it because I think it's right. And I don't need to make excuses for doing it. I'm going to say one thing, because it kind of goes off of what Matt and what you're talking about, Julie, is, and I didn't realize it until you guys just kind of helped me formulate that. For me, I've learned, even in my, and I think the word that, that I would use, Matt, is vulnerability. So I think the same gut feeling I have when I lead in confidence or I go in confidence is because I've come to the grips with that word of my why. So once I understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, um, I can move forward in confidence with, uh, with things that are, whether, like I said, when I'm empowered because I really lead a lot with vulnerability. I'm one who, in a group of people, will be the first one to try and find or just even be the first one to, to, to be vulnerable. I'll just say it as simply as that. Uh, and what I've learned in that is the same confidence I have when people are following in things that I could be looked at as strong or confident. Um, I have confidence in my vulnerability because I understand why. I understand that there is a strength in being vulnerable. My kids have told me, um, dealing with a lot of young people that I deal with, and people is, in, you know, in general is that I, I don't realize I have an intimidating presence, but I've heard that before. So sometimes when I lead with the vulnerability, like people's walls come down very quickly as well. So I guess my point in that is, is that I've seen now that the, it's the same superpower, like you said, that you have leading in things that we feel strong in, that I feel strong in. I've learned to lead in the same superpower in my vulnerability as well. And I've done it for a lot of years where I've almost taken, I've seen my vulnerability as a strength um, in connecting genuine bridges with people. And, and so if, if they want to judge me for the vulnerable side of me, that's okay because I understand why. I've kind of already went through those roads myself and can stand confident in that as well. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think for me with the uh, intimidation factor is since I've learned about the Enneagram and learned that not everybody sees things the way I'm going to and doesn't matter what I do or say, they're not going to see it the way I see it. If I can remember that when I start a, you know, a conversation or something, it's like, okay, take a minute, pause, try and bring it down a little bit because I don't necessarily know what, what number somebody else may be. Right. And, or what they're masking too, right. What they're trying to hide um, or what they don't feel safe about. So just trying to bring it down a little bit, try and be a little more gentle, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that that's part of what's important to understand, um, at least for us at the Art of Growth, which we are really believe this is that the features of each of the types, they are neutral. Yeah, being direct, having a strong presence to you, uh, being oriented towards justice, trusting your gut. Right? These are features. They're not. There's nothing about that that's either good nor bad. Um, and being able to be okay with like, these are some of the features, right? Um, problem sometimes begins when we change for the sake of the, uh, the externals, the exterior, other people, like I'm changing because you need me to change, or I'm pulling back because I'm too much for you. When there's any kind of change that is based upon only that it's not, it's not sustainable for any type. So the feedback I might be getting might be you're too much, you know, you're, you're too intense. And then to tune inwardly to see is the intensity right now coming from a place of trying to protect that vulnerable side of me when I don't need to. Mm. 
And that, as you learn that, then you can, as you were talking about, Daniel, you can move in more confidence because it's a bit more of awareness of, yeah, at times that's true. On any given day, that could be true. But let me see if I can move in the place of, no, this is, this is actually good for you. This is actually good for the group. This is good for other people. And then you move with greater confidence in that. Um, so that it's not about pulling back on you because you're too much as an ache for other people. That's, that's a terrible message. <laughs> I think that's a terrible message for any type to hear is that somehow they're not enough or they're too much. I want to be able to say to people, no, you're, mm. you're beautiful as you are. You're, you're, you're glorious as you are. But there are lower sides to those features and there are high sides to those features. And your path is discerning the difference of when one is meeting that egoic need and when it's a little bit more about, you know, putting some, something good out into the world. Yeah, I would say too, like just going back to the vulnerability piece you were sharing there, Daniel, um, I've heard it said, and this is true for me or has been at times for sure. And I don't know, again, if it's true for anybody else, but I've heard it said that some eights will use uh, vulnerability. They'll call it vulnerability, but they'll really share processed shit. Like they're like, all right, cool. I've dealt with this. It's really vulnerable. I need to share this with you guys, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, everyone's like, oh, that's, oh man, you really went there. (laughs) I'm like, well, it's already processed. Like for me, it was really not that hard. Other people step into the gap and they're truly vulnerable. And you're like, I'm done. Cool. I did my thing. It's all good. Beautiful. And then I I heard this line and I was like, oh, I've done that. Like, and I have a higher propensity to do that. You know, like I'm not the first one to say, XYZ is going around in my life right now, or I'm really struggling with ABC because I don't really need people to know. But, you know, I've found that when I'm truly, like, actually vulnerable, like, really vulnerable, then I think, you know, it's real for me and it's real for everybody else. And it's just so much more of a Oh, it's a real moment. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And and it also also does something good for you. That's why the, the path and the growth work, it's not about ultimately... Well, now my relationships are better. That's great. That's a byproduct. But, but it's really about you. It's about your development. And so I love that, that you've mentioned that. Yeah. It's funny, Matt, Jim called it, uh, and he's not with us tonight because he's, he's away, but he called it selective vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Because eight, so this is the feature of an eight. They're very intentional. There's very little about eights that's unintentional. Like, you know, ooh, look at this. I just happened to stumble on this. Or, you know, there's very little of that. It's, it's Life is far more intentional for eights. So your vulnerability can also be intentional, right? And so that's part of it is recognizing this high side of that feature, which is like, this is the appropriate time to be vulnerable. I could do the process stuff, like you mentioned, Matt, stuff that's already, or... I can be really present right now. And what would that look like? Yeah. If we're, if we're sharing vulnerability in order to express a lesson or tell a story or lead you, help you lead you to a conclusion, then it's a, such a powerful tool because there aren't very many people or in numbers probably that are brave enough to do that. I just told That's my right. story recently and Someone came up and said, you know, that was so brave. And I think Matt might agree. I was like, yeah, yeah, it was brave, but it wasn't hard. 
it was not hard for me to share this whole story because of the lessons I've learned and the things I've been through have made me a better person. Like I don't begrudge any part of my story. It's not all that pretty, but it made me the person I am today. And so I can be more confident and I can go out and know that I can overcome certain obstacles um, and I can achieve victory. You know, I think the hardest part about getting through that process has been that I've had to learn I can't do it alone. I can't do it without a higher power mm. and I can't do it without involving other people because I surround myself with a lot of fours. I don't know why they ask all the inquisitive questions that make me think and that make <laughs> me go to my heart more instead of just my gut. And they take me through that vulner selective vulnerability into that really uh, raw honesty that requ I'm required yeah. to have to grow no, that raw honesty probably doesn't yeah. show up very much. Yeah. No, but I'm, I'm even appreciative of you doing this now because I can feel your, I can feel your rawness in this moment, and it's like, and it's beautiful. So thank you. It, it takes it takes a lot, and I th I really want others who are listening and watching this. It takes a lot, and so for each type, whatever it is that they struggle with, when they step into it. Like, man, honor that. <laughs> Say something about that because you don't understand the, the, the amount of energy and uh, vulnerability and courage it takes to step into some of these things. So uh, that was one of the things that I that I've really learned about myself because I didn't I was never vulnerable. I didn't want to share anything um, because I thought it made me look weak. Yeah. And I did not want to be weak. So, you know, it took a lot of growth, a lot of work to to get to the point where I would start sharing things and being vulnerable. But like Matt said, I had I have to process it first. And once I process it and I come to terms with whatever it is, then I have no problem sharing it. Yeah. And just discovering how much stronger it has actually made me instead of making me weak. That's right. It's made me stronger. That's right. Yeah. I think it all comes back down to to motive and you said intentionality. Like there's a narcissistic way that we can sit there and, you know, try and move yeah. in order to get other people to move. And I think it's creating genuine moments with healthy intention that creates movement in other people, especially in vulnerable places. Um, so it's, it's always like, and so I'll always try to pull back to a place of in order to kind of store and create movement in others, as far as uh, vulnerability goes is I'll always go back to the place to try and draw back on a genuine, a genuine moment of trying to find something that's genuine that I can connect with. Same way I, I start looking for pieces. And then once I put them together, I'm like, there it is. And then I just move with it with the same confidence. But it is coming from a place of genuineness to where I'm not, I don't want to try to, like you say, Matt, to almost like manipulate others to be able to do it. So I love the movement, what you're describing. And for every other listener, it's like you're, it's the body type recognizing because body types can be very intentional, particularly eights. And so there's a movement towards intentionality that can be, that can leave the heart behind, which is where the authenticity really lies deep <laughs> is in that space of emotion. And so recognizing like, that's okay that that's your starting point. Your starting point doesn't need to be in the heart center. You can look around and be like, well, this is, this is what we need to do. Or this would be the better action to take, or this is what we, and you can see all of that and then go, and it would be appropriate for me to be vulnerable right here. And you can see all of that and you can still leave your heart behind, or you can go in and bring the heart forward. That's the starting point is not necessarily 
the bad thing. It's, it's just moving from your starting point to then integrate, you know, this other part of you. You've talked about your patterns already. We've already gone through all of these. I don't even need to, to like lay out the questions because we've already uh, gone into. So quarter motivation, the pattern, some of the early childhood experiences that sort of set that, that you can look back and go, yeah, I can, re- I can see that. I can, I can see where that began. And since we're sort of out of, you know, kind of free flowing here, uh, feel free to bring maybe an early childhood experience where you saw the pattern uh, of the eight. But also what I'd like to do now is talk about when you recognize that the pattern was no longer working, not entirely, because there's, again, there's plenty of it that does, but the parts of it that weren't working and what kind of provoked you to, to doing some of the inner work. Yeah. So like I've had relationships where like I'm married, I have a wife, but before that I had relationships that were like built on fear and manipulation and anger. And those are the feelings I felt or, or made or made someone else feel. And it made me feel confident and strong and capable. And like I've worked in schools, I've worked in prisons and I'm like, it's far easier to like push someone down than to pull someone up onto your level. That's, that's, that's the real work. That's hard work. So I think at that moment in my life, when I was younger, I, it was just easier to do push other people down so that I felt competent or confident or whatever it was. Right. That's no way to live. And it created a lot of feelings of like envy and jealousy and anger and resentment and bitterness, manipulation, all this garbage. And I think when I got to a place of like a little bit better health, a little bit better stability, and someone politely said, hey, you're making a big mess here. You know, I was like, oh, I am? Like, I think I am. But I mean, really? And they're like, yeah, you are. You're hurting people. You know, I mean, look behind you. Like all those burned bridges, that wasn't because of anybody else. Like that was you. And they did it in the most gracious, the most loving, but also the most straight up way, which I can respect and I need. Then at that point, I was like, oh boy, I don't want to do that. Like, I actually don't want to do that. When I was in a better place, I just said, I do not actually wish to continue doing this. So I don't know what it is, but I know everyone's got this, but I maybe I'm biased. Aids can reach down and they just pull up something that they just never even realized was there. And they're like, I will change and I will change now. And it's like, oh, oh, dang, like this is happening now. Okay. It was in those moments where like it just wasn't working anymore. And when there was some serious damage being done, then, then I changed, you know, Mm. so. Yeah, it's oftentimes, I mean, uh, again, if Jim was here, I'm sure he'd share this as well. Very similar to to your story, Matt, where it's like, looking back, he had a picture, uh, like one night, I think it was sort of like a, a divine image that came to his mind. And it was like a field with bodies strewn everywhere. And it was like, yeah, and you're hard charging, and you may have meant good at, you know, in this process, but boy, you know, you're hard charging, you left some bodies behind. And that tends to be true for a lot of assertive types. So eight sevens and threes is a lot of that. Like, like it takes, it mm-hmm. takes a good whack <laughs> for our types to, you know, to recognize like we're doing some of this stuff, you know, it's not just that the world is crazy and wrong and everybody else is the problem. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. now I'm going to look inwardly. I think sometimes I, again, I have to find a why in order to make 
some of those hard decisions. Because even in workplaces that I've been in before, people are like, man, you're look at the bodies laying around like, you know, and, and so there were times where and you kind of progressively get healthy in those places because um, you're like, OK, not because you have to, but it's, you know, you're like, man, I, I got to be a better employee or whatever it would be. Um, I think my really crossroad came when I realized and I, and I do believe my father's an eight as well. I say a very unhealthy eight, just a my way or the highway kind of guy. And when I realized I was becoming that person um, to my children, it, it was very um, sobering. And when my 17-year-old son told me that, you know, we were, I grew up in church, but not religious. He told me, he said, if if my dad's God is anything like my dad, I don't have anything to do with him. And uh, I realized that just being the strong dad, being the one who provided and do you know what mm. I do for you? And do you know how, and, and mm. he didn't care about any of that. Um, I let my son have a moment of just being honest with me. And I know where his heart came from in it. And literally since that time, that was probably eight years ago. He's, he's 25 now. Uh, and there's been times where we butted heads, but I always, I had this, this uh, and I read it somewhere where it said that whoever had his heart had his ear. And I was losing the ear of my son because I lost his heart. And for him to be vulnerable with me in that moment and share those things with me. And, and so that was a turning point for me. And really the culture of my family, the direction of my life, my relationship with my wife, was I realized the people that I was around most, yeah. I, I was hurting the most. They just didn't tell me. And, and nor, I mean, which I understand why they weren't honest, because I didn't really, honesty wasn't completely solicited. But that was a turning point for me, just to Matt's yeah. point as well. Wow. So for me, um, growing up in a, an alcoholic household, I always viewed my dad as weak. And I was never going to be like him until I was like him. And, you mm. know, I just viewed addiction as moral character, sense of will, failure, weakness. Why can't you get up and go to work? How dare you not choose your family until I was doing things like not choosing my family and hurting people around me. Mm. And so for me, it was one thing one woman said at a conference I was at. And I was like, damn it, you know, like, oh, and I realized I could get off the train then that I didn't mm. have to be homeless, mm. that I didn't have to do all the things that my dad did in order to to accept the fact that I am like him. And maybe I need to rethink how I thought of him so that I can love myself in the way that I am at. And then step one so is good. you're powerless. That took me a while. <laughs> but, you know, once I was able to, to realize I was powerless over that substance, I could then apply it over time, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, um, to all aspects of my life. So certainly that has totally helped me. But again, it was the, the hardest part about it was Admitting I was weak, I attributed addiction or whatever word it is with being weak. That why couldn't I fix myself? Why do I need these other people? Why do I need a higher power? Why do I need all this stuff? For this eight, that was the hardest thing. Once I crossed the threshold and pivoted, I was all in. But getting there was a long trudge. So, Wow. Thank you. 
for me, my, like I said earlier, you know, growing up with boys, got to be tough, got to be strong. It got to the point where, you know, me denying my illness or sickness almost got me killed. Mm. I, um, I was at work one day and somebody, I started not feeling really good. And I went to my boss and said, I don't feel good. And her knowing me and knowing that I had this, I never admitted weakness or anything. She's like, I think you need to go to the hospital after, you know, a lot of her convincing me. I went and my appendix was just about to rupture. Wow. Had mm. she not, you know, convinced me that I needed to go, I would, I, my intention was to come home because I'm strong. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I will be okay. Man, I wouldn't have. No. And then the other, the other side of it too, on a different level is um, being strong and independent is, you know, I pushed everybody away, you know, so I end up, I live by myself. I have a cat and it's like, you know what, this really sucks. It's Mm. hard to live by yourself. Mm. So it's, you know, it's now taking that next step in growth and being vulnerable and, you know, admitting, you know, maybe I do need some people Mm. in my life, Mm. you know, I, I could do it alone. But I no longer want to do it alone. Oh, good. Very good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The big thing for, for eights and for other sort of types and for all nine types, really, we no, no type is born with a natural capacity to receive love uh, from the world around them. I don't know why that is. We're just not. We're very, very selective in how we do that. But then as you get to the more assertive types, it gets even harder. And so for type eights, it's that capacity to be with need and to present that need and for that need to then be met by Mm -hmm. somebody else and for that eight to then appreciate that and to let them know that that need was, thank you for meeting that need. The fullness of that process for, Mm -hmm. for it to really be something that has relational impact you know, because then the other person feels like, well, then I have a contribution to make in this person's life. And wow, they receive my love. And boy, that makes me feel really good. Right? And you know what that's like when you do that and someone's receptive to your love. So, um, so that's part of the practice. I love this. This is so good. I do want to wrap up our time together with one question to each of you that I didn't prepare you for. But it's a question about since many types tend to focus on the negative, right? And how this is what I'm not doing. This is what I need to improve. I'd like you to name one thing that you feel like you're doing well. And the more that we bring our attention to what we're doing well, the more that the, that the brain starts releasing, you know, dopamine and, you know, good, good feeling hormones to continue to focus on doing the things that are good. <laughs> so, so yeah, one thing that you have done that you are doing now or have done recently that is good that you're proud of in terms of this kind of thing that we're talking about. I would say that one of the good things about being able to, I guess, see our need for others. A mentor of mine told me a long time ago, and he was so right in it. You're just better when you're leading. And so that was permission for me to surround myself by other people and to stay in community. And so what I began to find, though, recently was there's some transition that's happening within our church. And so there's there's just it's a it's a period of time where one pastor's leaving and so there's there's and it's been really healthy so far but there's there's something in me that has started to almost shift to instead of being the strong one is recognizing and realizing my ability to empower others to be the strong ones 
So I realized the the superpower that I have to see strengths in mm. others and then empower them the same way I say I feel empowered and I move to empower them and encourage them in those things. And I just see how much more that we can do. And it sounds so cliche, but it's really true is I began to look around and see, man, I have all of these people and not that I can, you know, from a good and a good place of um, a genuine place of saying, man, I really see the value in this person and, and my ability to just spark something in people and inspire something on the inside in them. And, and my intent, my attention has come more of like, let me say how I can get this task done by not wow. doing anything myself, but by using the strengths that I have to empower others to believe in themselves. So we don't go forward unless you move it forward. So that's been something just recently. And it's, um, it's something I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of. I, I really am. It, yeah. It's actually a heck of a lot easier, um, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So, That's a key thing for um, all leaders in any role that they're in. Is you, if you're leading and no one's following, you're just taking a walk. As one of the leaders said, it's like you you know you've you got to learn to kind of stay with the group, even if it's slower. And even if it means that you're not doing everything, you know, making it happen yourself. Yeah, that's really good. Well done. I think for me, one of the things that I'm most doing right now that I'm most proud of is just doing the work, um, taking that step out of my comfort zone, looking at my story, figuring things out. And I think I'm becoming more my authentic self. Um, and I'm just proud of who I'm becoming, the strength I'm gaining that I didn't even know I had, um, a different view on strength. What What is strength, right? So just my perspectives are shifting. Yeah. And I just, I'm excited to see where it's going to go Ugh. as I continue to, to do the work. Yay. Um, so for me, I think, I think I have a tendency to lead or teach from a point of pain to show that I have conquered or achieved something. So then therefore I can, I can show my growth or show my anything. And the last probably five years with the encouragement of, some friends is leading from a position of joy, like shamelessly being joyful. And I find that mm. it's super easy to identify with people based on a pain touch point. We all have pain, right? I think for me, there was a lot of fear in being happy because the next shoe was going to drop or happiness was weakness. Yeah. So I've created this platform where I embrace joy. And that's the message I'm trying to give. Intentionally, selfishly, it, it allows me to focus on joy all, every day because I'm always looking at how can I inspire others in a joyful way instead of in a, oh, I've been through this really difficult thing in my life. You can do it too. But uh, for women, I don't know, maybe men too. Maybe you guys will, will agree. Um, sometimes people are afraid to admit they're happy or they can find joy um, because they don't want to look better than or look. I don't know. We criticize somebody for being happy a lot more than we criticize them for being in pain. So what is she so happy about mm. is the phrase I'm trying to break that I can be happy despite mm. anything or not happy. I hate that word. Joyful. I can find joy, divine joy, intentionally. 
Yeah. And I, I think I'm succeeding in turning my little corner of the world around. It's been really rewarding. Very good. Oh, yes. Very, very good, Julie. I think for myself, I would say most recently I like started a new venture and one might say, dude, you're built for that. Like you're an eight, you're assertive. This is what you do. You used to be a prison chaplain. Like what's the difference between being like a chaplain for those who are deconstructing their faith and kind of like out there lost on an island? Like you're, you're made for this. And I would argue, yeah, I am, but I have to create that. And I don't want to do that because because creating something means it could fall apart and sticking your neck out there and doing something that could go wrong is dangerous. You know, what if it does go wrong and I don't want to do that or in my venture on fundraising, it's a nonprofit. So then, well, what if the money doesn't come in? What if people don't believe in me and what I'm about? Like, that's going to suck. I don't want to do that. So then, and I'm, you know, we're eights. We've been burned too many times. This is the the approach we take to life. And so I'm like, no, I don't do that. I just don't do that. Which is, in essence, just a really scarcity mindset way of going about living. You know, scarcity of, of finances, scarcity of just being fearful. And with reason, might I add, I'm not saying that having that viewpoint is inherently bad. I'm just saying like, it's, it, it works until it doesn't. And for me, I didn't want to keep living that way. And yes, maybe as an assertive type, as an eight, I'm built for it. Sure. But I still have to bust through that wall of like that scarcity mindset that I grew up with, which I feel like I'm slowly doing. And, you know, being less afraid to take those risks and, and do that kind of thing is, is huge for me. So that's something that I'm doing. So very good. And I want to add a, a something that you may not have said about yourself uh, and would maybe not say about yourself, but that I see in you. And that is you're moving also more in the places of, of authenticity. Like the thing that you're putting out into the world, it's near and dear to your heart, which is why it's so damn terrifying. And, you know, you can build and construct anything yeah. else as an, as an eight and be like, yeah, whatever, because it's not there's no loss in it for you if it doesn't succeed. This one, man, True. this is the work of your heart. So I get it. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, Joel. I see that. And I see that for each of you that you're talking, what you're talking about is authentic. It's real for you. This is where you're at. And so, uh, well done. Man, this has been awesome. <laughs> but I wanted to say a big, huge thanks to each of you for opening up your hearts, for sharing as you did so vulnerably, so truthfully. Thank you so much. So thank you for listening. And if you've been trying to introduce someone to the Enneagram, I think this season is going to be a really good one to share with them. And this is the foundational stuff that we all need to come back to and remember from time to time. So make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram at just Art of Growth. But for now, my friends... Lean into the eight energy within you that longs to leave an impact on this world, to empower and strengthen others, and to be solid and rooted grounding for yourself and others. Grace and growth, my friends. <laughs>